The United States Patent and Trademark Office is one of the few federal agencies that actually is um, designated to exist in the Constitution. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution reads, to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries set the stage for the modern patent office. Hi, I'm Zach, and as always, I'm joined by my colleagues Craig and Pam. Did you know that May is National Inventors Month? And according to the National Inventors Hall of Fame, this annual celebration was created to promote, quote, the positive image of inventors and the real contributions that they give to this world. Think back to your schooling years and what you learn about inventors and their inventions, from Thomas Edison and the light bulb to George Washington Carver and crop rotation. Countless individuals and teams of people have forever changed the way we go about our lives and our work. This monthly celebration gives us pause to remember these innovators and their contributions. Even with this annual opportunity to do so, choosing whom to recognize and for what can be a task in and of itself. Luckily, the U.S. Constitution outlines a process of keeping track of inventors and their inventions. In the opening clip, we heard from Thad Parsons, the former director of the National Inventors Hall of Fame and Museum, then located in the U.S. Trademark and Patent Office in Alexandria, Virginia. He talked about the Patent and Trademark Office's designation in the Constitution and its origination in 1790. On the other side of the break, we'll delve into all things innovation with two special guests from the National Inventors Hall of Fame. The organization's Executive Vice President for Selection and Recognition, Rini Paiva, and curriculum writer, Katie Kirkpatrick. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. As we celebrate National Inventors Month and those figures throughout history who have pushed boundaries and created innovative solutions to help improve the world, for everyone who we study and learn about, there are many who go unrecognized for their achievements. To learn more about why we recognize inventors during this month, as well as some of the people throughout history who have left their mark on the world through their work, we've invited two experts from the National Inventors Hall of Fame to join us today. First up, we have Rini Piver, Executive Vice President for Selection and Recognition, as well as curriculum writer Katie Kirkpatrick. Thank you to you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. So, Rini and Katie, can you talk about what the National Inventors Hall of Fame is, its mission, and further explain what each of your roles are? And the National Inventors Hall of Fame is an organization that's devoted to recognizing great inventors as well as inspiring and encouraging invention and creative thinking in others, particularly uh, the younger generations. And we really want to put a spotlight on how important you know, invention is and how important it is the work that many inventors have done to change the world and really get that message across to younger folks that you know, they're capable of doing the same thing. Um, here at the National Inventors Hall of Fame, I oversee our recognition programs. So that means things like our selection process, 
the museum where we have great displays on the inventors, our recognition events like the annual induction gala, which honors the inventors, and also just serving as a liaison between our organization and the inductees uh, as we work with them throughout the year. And this is Katie. And my role as a curriculum writer is to build relationships with the inventors that we induct into the Hall of Fame and to research um, their inventions and help develop the curriculum that we write for the students and for our camp programs, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And a big part of that is also testing the curriculum and the activities that we do with students in classrooms. Thank you, um, and th thanks again for, for both of you being uh, here with us today. Um, to that end, about recognizing inventors and their impact and encouraging students um, to learn about and, and to understand uh, just the profound effects that inventors and their inventions have had on our society, can you provide us with a little bit of history of the National Inventors Hall of Fame and speak maybe to why May is recognized as National Inventors Month? Well, you know, as far as the history of the Hall of Fame, Back in the early 1970s, um, some folks were sitting around thinking about what a great idea it would be to honor inventors. And in fact, the organization was co-founded by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, uh, as well as a group of intellectual uh, property attorneys as a means for, again, recognizing the great work that inventors do and the impact they have on our day-to-day -day lives. For a long time, uh, the organization provided recognition through displays and kiosks at the Patent and Trademark Office. And over the years, finally, you know, the decision was made to, to create a, a brick-and-mortar museum, which we did. That museum is currently in the D.C. area, in Alexandria, where we always have displays on the latest class of inventors and also talk a lot about the importance of inventions and trademarks and how they're just completely integrated in our lives, even though we may not even realize it. Um, as far as May being National Inventors Month, for a number of years, one of the things that we've done is hold our annual induction ceremony in May. Uh, this year is a little bit of an anomaly as we're paying, playing some post-pandemic catch-up, but, um, but uh, you know, we've found that it is a great time for us to gather in the D.C. area bring in many past inductees in the Hall of Fame as well as the current class and uh, just, again, put them up on that pedestal so people can see the great things they've done. And you touched a little bit on your role, Rini, um, as the Executive Vice President for Selection and Recognition, but can you dive a little bit deeper and tell us a little bit more about the nomination, selection, and recognition process for these for, for these folks that we don't know about? Yeah, of course. So one of the things that people should know is that we accept outside nominations, and it's very easy to do that. You just go to our website, which is invent.org, and you can click on nominate an inventor. And as long as an inventor has a U.S. patent, they're eligible to be considered so we ask people to submit ideas to us of significant inventors whose work has truly made an impact, you know, something that's, that's maybe had an economic impact, a societal impact, maybe a cultural impact, something that has moved an industry or a, um, something in society forward. 
And as people nominate, we compile those nominations, run them through some pretty rigorous vetting and research, and we'll end up putting a list of candidates in front of a national selection committee. And these are folks from different national technical engineering science, uh, intellectual property organizations, and they make recommendations every year on who inductees should be, and we end up getting that ratified by our, uh, by our board. Um, and then it's that group of people who we give all the, all the attention that they deserve to by having this annual black tie gala and putting them literally above a stage uh, and just making them feel special and letting the world know what it is that they've done. Terrific. And so I know you talked a little bit about the you know emphasis on education and uh, inspiring young people. You talked a little bit just then about uh, the impact that some of these inventions have had and some of these patents and trademarks have had. But how do you determine which artifacts you're featuring um, in organizing your exhibits and which stories to share? Are there any specific examples of some inventions or uh, trademarks, patents that you could share? Uh, sure. So we... Um, just for instance, in this past year, obviously, we were recognizing the 22 inductees. So we always do an exhibit on the current class. And one of the 2022 inductees was Lonnie Johnson. And Lonnie Johnson is someone who's done a lot of very good energy research. He's done a lot of work with battery technology and things like that. And that is what his life is devoted to. He also happens to be the inventor of the super soaker uh, toy that a lot of people are familiar with. So when he came up with that super soaker, he went through a lot of prototypes. He ended up coming up with a successful uh, toy. And all the profit that he's made off of the super soaker, he has put right back into R&D for his energy research. Well, all of this overall, I'm giving you a very high-level look at this fascinating story we realized that he still had the prototypes that he made, including the very first prototype, and we thought, what a great foundation in terms of telling that story of who he is and what he's done. And for the past year, we had that prototype on display in the museum. So I guess we really do look for objects that are going to help illustrate the stories that these inventors you know, have gone through and, and what they've given to us. That's fascinating. And that's, uh, is that at the uh, exhibit in Alexandria you're talking about, or is that in Ohio? So that is in Alexandria. And we are in the process, actually, of turning our exhibits over for the 2023 inductee class. So um, look for a whole new slew of objects and artifacts. One of the 2023 class members, or two of them, actually, are two brothers named Cyril and Lewis Keller, who actually invented the very first skid steer loader. So a lot of people know it by the Bobcat name, the Bobcat skid steer loader. And um, we are fortunate enough to be able to have that first prototype on display. And so, again, it's all part of the storytelling that really makes inventors, I think, and the work they do resonate with people. So when thinking about that, I'll just jump around for a second because we're intrigued and we dug up some old C-SPAN programming of when we had been there. So it's been fun for us to go look through that archival video. But in your opinion and considering the class of this year, is there anyone that you're going to be inducting that has inspired you the most? 
That's a tough one. Yeah, we, we, I know. yeah we get asked that question when, when we host our documentary competition. It's really hard. But just, just hearing your passion, the way you're talking about the Super Soaker and how that has um, just continues to be a, a source of inspiration and um, helping us all and benefiting, uh, benefiting from it. Just wasn't sure if there was anything you wanted to speak about. Well, I mean, I think that I, – I mean, I hate to pick someone out from the current class. And we hate to pick people out in general because – well, you know, of course, we hate to single people out. But thinking about even, like, the past, I think that, again, we're looking, in terms of inspiring people, people whose work has really reached a large portion of the population, people whose stories have uh, really made a difference for young people. And let me give you a couple examples. Well, certainly I think Lonnie Johnson, who I just mentioned, is a perfect example of that. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people who are just, uh, they're starstruck when they meet someone like him. I think of someone like Eric Fossum, who is the inventor of the image sensor that's found in your cell phone camera or used in a lot of your automotive safety systems, you know, your backup camera uh, and other safety sensors. That is the thing that's most impressive to us is the swath of, of um, influence. Um, you take someone like Fran Ligler, who is an inductee, who she did work on portable optical biosensors. And, you know, you, you think of something like the Pentagon in D.C. Well, there are portable optical biosensors outside the Pentagon that are constantly sniffing the air to make sure that everything is okay. You know, it's a place of great national security. So those are the kinds of things we find really inspirational. Yeah, and and in response to Craig's question a little bit ago, you discussed the the importance and the power of telling stories. And then, of course, to Pam's most recent question, these potentially unfamiliar people in, in your word, ubiquitous work, right? And we're all former classroom teachers, so we can definitely relate to the importance of telling stories and then also of highlighting these diverse people that might be potentially unfamiliar and um, showcasing our students um, history that they probably never never heard about before. Um, but Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, go ahead. I was going to say Katie, I think, can really speak that, to that, too, because, I mean, we were just talking about someone who you really appreciate. I mean, and I think he's a good example. Oh, yes. It is very, as Rini said, it's very difficult to choose just one Hall of Famer that is very inspirational because they're all um, such an inspiration for inventors, young um, and old. But I know Steve Sasson is a big inspiration for me as a photographer myself. I use a digital camera quite often, and I have him to thank for that invention. He's known as the inventor of the first digital camera. Um, But to your other question about how do you approach creating resources about potentially unfamiliar people, One of the amazing aspects of my position as a curriculum writer at the National Inventors Hall of Fame is that the inventors who are inducted in the Hall of Fame are no longer unfamiliar to us at the organization, especially after induction. Um, We spend many hours conducting thorough research on our new inductees by reading biographies, um, news articles, and any other relevant sources to gather as much information as we can about their life and their accomplishments 
and we spend hours interviewing them and filming the inductees and their labs and home. Um, we build a relationship with them. In fact, this week, later this week, I'm having lunch with um, Steve Sasson, who I mentioned earlier, the inventor of the digital camera. And then after we build these relationships with the inventors, we're able to make connections um, that the children are able to relate to. So for instance, one of the co-inventors of the Kiva robot is Pete Worman, and he used a notebook to keep track of his ideas. So that's something in our curriculum that we encourage students to use a notebook to keep track of their inventions. We also connect the inventors to students through things that might interest them, such as Marshall Jones, who's the inventor of industrial lasers. He grew up on a duck farm, and so kids find that fascinating to know. I know you just asked us to, like, who inspires us, and we said we don't like to focus <laughs> in on people, but I, I mean, obviously you can tell that we just find so many of them fascinating. It's hard not to talk about them. Yeah, but I, yeah, exactly. I was just going to jump in because you're like, your teacher's dreams right there. You know, students who have, you know, you found that little seed inside of you, something that's interesting, and then you're challenging yourself and wanting to learn and wanting to grow more, um, and that's exactly what this is all about, so... Um, no, it's like we're excited to hear some of the people who have been inspirational to all of you. Yeah, so many stories that can resonate with uh, different students and different different teachers. Um, so, Katie, just picking up on you, I know as a curriculum writer, you're working on educational resources um, for, for for teachers and for students. But can you, uh, you know, this question's for both of you, really? But any uh, opportunities in terms of virtual or in-person opportunities? What does the organization specifically offer to those people who can get to Ohio or get to the maybe the uh, uh, the exhibit in Alexandria? And for those who, who can't, who are more remote and obviously trying to look for online opportunities, can you speak to what those are? Of course. Um, the National Inventors Hall of Fame has a lot of resources for educators, families, um, and students. And we offer many opportunities, both virtual and in-person. So a good place to start is going to the website, as Rini has said, it's invent.org. And you can find lots of downloadable STEM activities. You can take, if you don't make it to Alexandria, Virginia, you can take a virtual tour of the National Inventors Hall of Museum. Um, you can watch many inductee stories on our YouTube channel, and you can find information about the different programs that we offer. So we have some in-person opportunities for students. We have Camp Invention, and it's for students in grades kindergarten through six, and it's traditionally run for one week, and it's during the summer months. We also have Club Invention, and that's for students who are in first grade through sixth grade, and it's an after-school STEM education program. And then for some of the older students, there's also a leaders in training program for kids in the seventh through ninth grade, where they will act as role models and encourage creativity and hands-on learning for the students in kindergarten through sixth grade in Camp Invention. And then for virtual opportunities, we have Camp Invention Connect, which is for kids in kindergarten through sixth grade. And this is a really great opportunity for kids who aren't able to make a camp in person because you get an innovator toolkit that is mailed right to that child's house. And it is packed with all of the materials that they need to complete a week of camp invention at home. And the kids can log on to scheduled meeting times and um, meet with other kids who are also doing Connect at Home. And it's led by an educator 
virtually, or they can also complete the STEM activities on their own by logging into our website. So we have that running again this year. It'll be our Elevate program, and it has some really fun modules in it, like Flight Lab and Rescue Squad, um, Design Thinking. And then school districts are able to partner with us to run something called Invention Project, and it has a variety of modules that the schools can choose from, and those can be completed virtually or in person in the classroom. And all of our modules and camps align with state standards, and the kids love them. <laughs> but I don't, want to, <laughs> I don't want to get ahead. I mean, we might be biased, but... Well, no, you know what, too? I think that it, it's funny. I know, I know Katie wants and I both want to talk. You know, we'll take inductees out to camp, and, camp invention programs to see what's going on and to be like real life inspiration and real life role models for some of the kids. And they end up getting caught up in it and get caught up in the programming and want to participate. So it's, it, it truly is just so engaging. It really is. Um, I'm not sure if I mentioned, but I was a kindergarten teacher for 10 years and prior to becoming a curriculum writer for camp. And I actually taught Camp Invention since 2016 in the summer months, and it rejuvenated me as a teacher. Um, it was my favorite time of the school year, teaching camp. It was a relief to see the kids actively engaged and collaborating with each other. And I mean, just seeing the smiles on their face, it was amazing. Yeah, and, and as Pam was an elementary teacher, I was a middle school teacher, and Craig was a high school teacher. We can definitely uh, re relate to that and just the rejuvenating effect that that type of success, that type of impact has, especially in the spring months when you're surrounded around potentially, you know, depending on your grade level, state testing and this, that, and the other that can often kind of de detract from, from that joy that, that sometimes comes um, into your classroom and those experiences. And I have to share, too, for our audience that we shared with both you, Rini, and Katie at the onset before the interview that our podcast producer, Shannon, was actually an attendee at Camp Invention and left such a great impact on her that she said she still has the T-shirt in her closet to this day, um, how many years later. So it uh, definitely speaks volumes um, about the the impact that, that your um, programs have on, on kids across the country. Well, we absolutely love to hear that. That is amazing. And um, I think that kind of passion for, you know, the program is seen in a lot of people. It's funny, I was talking about inductees going to visit Camp Invention. We have inductees who will wear, you know, they get T-shirts from the Camp Invention program, and some of them love to wear them out and about, too, when they're running their errands. So kind of fun for us to see them doing those sorts of things. Well, this has been wonderful. I wanted to give you a chance. Anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners today? I mean, I think one of the main things for us is just reminding your listeners that, you know, I think that they probably already know this, but every single inventor out there has his or her own amazing story, whether that's an inventor like one of the inductees in the Hall of Fame or, you know, one of the kindergartners that Katie used to teach all those years ago. Every inventor has a story and every inventor is interesting. So, you know, um, 
That's why we love to, to be able to work in this topic and encourage the, the whole idea of invention and creativity. Love it. Rini and Katie, thank you again, and we really appreciate your time today. Oh, you're welcome. We've enjoyed it. Yes, thank you for having us. Innovation has been a hallmark of the United States since our founding. And it's through the vision of inventors, their trial and errors, and their tenacity and commitment that they and their inventions have helped shape the way we approach nearly every aspect of our lives. But competition in the innovation world is fierce. So what safeguards are put in place to protect innovators? Well, securing a patent or a trademark are two common options in our republic. But for someone like myself who has never invented anything, unless you count the macaroni and cheese, corn and peas concoction that I made when I was nine, what are patents and trademarks and what's the difference? Once again, here's Thad Parsons from the National Inventors Hall of Fame and Museum. The difference between a patent and a trademark is actually reasonably simple. A patent is, protect, is intellectual property protection of either a physical object, so a, let's, for something simple, let's say a paperclip, so you could get a patent on a paperclip, or you could also get the patent on the method of making the paperclip. So patents are on objects and methods. Trademarks are on names and identifying marks. So in the instance of Nike, um, there is the word Nike, which is a trademark, but then there's also the swoosh. So whether it's a word or a shape or even a color, those identifying marks are what are called trademarks. The two clips we played in this episode are from a C-SPAN class from Bellringer Resource that offers a review of the history of patents and trademarks and talks about how the U.S. Trademark and Patent Office has evolved over time. Historically, candidates had to provide models or prototypes to showcase their ideas and how they function. But over time, the space got a little cluttered, so they had to revise their requirements. As a former middle school teacher, I think this bell ringer would be a fantastic resource to launch a lesson or a unit on inventors. For example, students could then take it to the next level by researching someone they're interested in or a local inventor, or perhaps provide them with an opportunity to be creative and have them develop their own inventions. Working independently or collaboratively, the class could then create a classroom patent and trademark collection, showcasing their work as a culminating classroom activity. And in thinking about end-of-year activities as we're in May and, and approaching June and the last few weeks of the school year, this collection could be a fantastic option to highlight social studies work for your school's Title I or Family Night. It's a great way to get young people engaged in thinking about issues that are important to them and how future improvements could be made to positively impact our lives. One of the people that they discussed was Lonnie Johnson, and we found a program with tour guide Eric Finley, who leads tours along the African-American Heritage Trail in Alabama. In this clip, he talks about Lonnie Johnson's origins in philanthropy, so let's listen. There's a gentleman that went to one of the local high schools here, Williamson High School, and uh, he used to blow up things in the chemistry lab and set his mom's kitchen on fire. So ultimately, he goes to Tuskegee University, becomes a PhD engineer works on the B-2 staff bomber. And then he invents the super soaker, the water gun that shoots over buildings and across the street that he sold over a billion dollars worth. And uh, recently he returned to Mobile about eight months ago 
uh, presented a check to the Mobile County Public School System for $7.5 million to start a robotics school. Interesting enough, the same high school that he attended uh, finished third in the overall presentations of robotics at the state contest in a couple of, a couple of years ago. So uh, he's giving back all the time. His uh, labs are in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. At the beginning of the clip, Eric Finley touched briefly on Lonnie's fascination with science as a youth and some of his misadventures that he worked through before eventually going on to receive a PhD in engineering. Uh, he went on to become an accomplished engineer who worked at Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee. He joined the U.S. Air Force. He worked at NASA. And according to his biography on the National Inventors Hall of Fame website, and quote, in 1989, Johnson formed his own engineering firm and licensed his most famous invention, the Super Soaker Water Blaster, and he licensed that to Laramie Corp. By 1991, just two years later, the Super Soaker had generated over $200 million in sales and became the number one selling toy in America, end quote. Well, these days he's working on energy projects which could revolutionize the battery industry and related products throughout the uh, global energy market, and he currently holds over 100 patents with more on the horizon. So circling back to our discussion with Rini and Katie, we can certainly understand why Lonnie Johnson is a continuing source of inspiration for people of all ages. Throughout his life, he's followed his interests, he's developed skills, challenged himself to learn and grow, and he looks at things through a different lens to create new inventions. And as was mentioned in the video, he's given back generously over the years to the community where he grew up to provide opportunities for young people like himself. It was a challenge for us to determine who to highlight in this episode because there are just so many important innovators, known and unknown to us, who have impacted all aspects of our lives. We explored our digital resources and archive and conducted research online. And as we discussed this topic and key historical figures, and how we have access to information as well as people all over the world, we thought we had to include Sir Tim Berners-Lee, inventor of the World Wide Web in 1989. We covered a program in which he was interviewed about this idea, so we're going to play a portion of a clip from that program that features him talking about his vision for this project. Part of the goal for the web was that's the creative process with a person is when your brain just decides by itself subconsciously to put, find a way to put together all the pieces. Imagine you have a big problem, like a climate, how to solve climate change or discover cancer, and the pieces of the problem are in different people's brains, but they're connected on the internet. So can the web be a place? But, so a goal for the web, it should be a collaborative place where wherever I have an idea, I can very easily put it into the web. And whenever, and as I, want, as I wander around the space looking at other people's ideas, I can pick them up and I can connect them together. So the necessity to be able to link anything to anything to say, ooh, you're thinking that? Well, I've been thinking this. And so the way people work now with GitHub and Gitter to a certain extent can, uh, can, uh, is maybe an attempt to do that. I wanted to do that for the software teams that I was working with, to have the space where we would do the creativity thing, but we would do it between multiple minds. That's still my goal for the web. I think this clip is such a great example for students to learn about collaboration and how we all bring our ideas and skill sets to a project and how it can be done outside the traditional classroom with access to people around the globe. Now, this clip is part of an On This Day in History resource we have on our C-SPAN Classroom website that features other portions from that program. And another point that I want to highlight from it, and one that I found very interesting, is when Sir Tim Berners-Lee talked about why he did not seek a patent for the web, um, especially after we learned earlier, Zach, as you mentioned, about how they can protect us. 
So he indicated that he could have made a fortune if he did seek a patent or receive royalties, but he felt that others would have developed competing webs, which have which would have impacted the vast space he envisioned for sharing of information and connecting with other individuals and having access to all of that. It did make me wonder what would have happened if he did seek a patent, but personally, it made me value his contribution even more to all of us in the world. As we wind down this edition of the C-SPAN in the Classroom podcast, I'm struck by the innovation that was necessary just to produce today's episode. Computers and software, of course, but microphones, cell phones, speakers, electricity, and as Pam just mentioned, the Internet and all the other preceding steps that got us to where we are today. And as you frame your classroom's discussions about inventors and their inventions, consider how you might best tell the stories that are not as well publicized or told. We thank Rini Paiva, Katie Kirkpatrick, and the entire National Inventors Hall of Fame for their time today and for reminding of us of this point. As mathematician and inventor Alan Turing said, quote, sometimes it is the people no one can imagine anything of who do the things no one can imagine. As always, you'll find all of the resources that we highlighted in this episode, as well as many more, linking to the National Inventors Hall of Fame YouTube page with uh, specific examples of other inventors, if you'd like to take a look at those. And you'll find those on our featured resources page at cspan.org slash classroom. If you would ever like to connect with our team to learn more about what we have to offer to teachers and students, please email us anytime at educate at cspan.org. And that's it for this week. Please remember to like and follow our podcast wherever you listen so you don't miss our next episode. And until then, thank you for joining us.